Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... Jesus is the Lord of the church. It's His church, right? But He says, hey, this is the church of the Laodiceans. This is their church. And later on in the letter, Jesus is going to say He's outside knocking, trying to get in. And I want you to think of the sad state of a church that Jesus is not even on the inside. He's like, hey, fellas, I'm just, can, can, can I come? I mean, I, I die for it after all. Can I, can, I, can I join my own thing? And I just want to throw this out. Do you guys, do we understand that there are churches today where Jesus is on the outside? In your life, in your relationships, in your job, in your hobbies, who do you let inside? Who knows you? Who do you trust? Who do you listen to? Is it your friends, your spouse, maybe one of your parents? What about Jesus? Where is He? Is He on the inside of your life, or is He on the outside? Today, Pastor Bill shares with you the incredible love of Christ, who, even if you've left Him on the outside, patiently stands at the door of your heart and knocks. May I come in, He asks. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, as he begins his message, The Church of Laodicea. The study through the seven churches has been as though Jesus were giving his evaluation of the seven different churches. Each one had different characteristics. There were two churches that Jesus had nothing negative to say about. So that taught us this is what Jesus wants a church to be like. Uh, That was the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia, the persecuted church and the faithful church. There were two churches. This is one of them for which Jesus had nothing good to say about. And Jesus, who sees everything, if Jesus has nothing good to say about you, guess what? There ain't nothing good about you, and that's really bad. So we'll look at today, the church of Laodicea is the second church to where Jesus had no commendation, nothing good to say about them. And then there were two churches where there were some good and there were some corrections, and Jesus would always, if he confronted you on what was wrong, he would give the correction. If there's anything positive to say, he would say it. So the church of Laodicea, the last of seven churches, look at verse 14 with me. This is the lukewarm church. We'll see why as we go through it. So look at verse 14. It says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. And let me stop right there. If you go back to Jesus's introduction to each church, we'll notice that this one is different than all the rest. To the church of Ephesus, he wrote the letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. To the other five churches, he wrote to the angel of the church in Smyrna, in Thyatira, in Pergamos, in whatever the city was. But I want you to note what he says here. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. This is different. And so that caused me to pause and go back and look. And this is What I believe is being said here, and it's even proven as you go through the letter, the Greek word for laos, where we get our word laity or the people, and then the is Laodiceans, the Dicean part is where we get our word decision or rule. And it's basically saying this is the church, the the rule of the people. And the Laodicean church was ruled by the people. Jesus is saying, hey, this is the church of the Laodiceans. This is their church. Jesus is the Lord of the church. It's his church, right? But he says, hey, this is the church of the Laodiceans. This is their church. And later on in the letter, Jesus is going to say he's outside knocking, trying to get in. 
And I want you to think of the sad state of a church that Jesus is not even on the inside. He's like, hey, fellas, I'm just, can, can, can I come? I mean, I died for it after all. Can I, can, I, can I join my own thing? And I just want to throw this out. Do you guys, do we understand that there are churches today where Jesus is on the outside? It is called a church. Folk dress up and go to it. They sing about him at it. They may even read some scriptures in it. But there are churches where Jesus is very much on the outside of it. And so that's not what you want to be, right? We don't want to be people that externally, hey, we're at church. I go to church. But we're not, God is not even on the inside of you. He doesn't even have ownership. He's not the Lord. You're doing your thing. And so we'll talk about that as we look at this letter. But it's unique. It's the only church that he addresses that way. Until the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. Now, the way that Christ presents himself to each church, every church he then says, he gives a presentation of himself. How he presents himself has a lot to do with the message that he has to give to this church. Before we jump into how Christ presents himself to the church in Laodicea, I want to give us a little bit of history on the church in Laodicea, the people, the area, because it'll help us understand the message that Jesus has for them as we go through it. First, the people in Laodicea were very wealthy. This is a rich, rich, rich community, and they're wealthy, and it's also a banking city. So they don't just have money. There are people send money to them. They bank and manage other folks' money. So they're very wealthy. They're so wealthy that in AD 60, there was an earthquake that rocked that whole area. All the places over there were rocked. They were ravaged. They needed to be rebuilt. The Roman Empire has its own version of like FEMA, where they send in monetary aid to help rebuild areas. When the Roman Empire sent money to Laodicea for repairs, they sent it back and said, no, we'll do it ourselves. We got this. We got our own money. We'll rebuild it ourselves. Keep that in mind later on, because Jesus is going to tell them that you guys are wealthy and self-sufficient. Right. This is a group that says we got this. And it's not bad to be rich or wealthy, but it is bad if your being rich or wealthy causes you to feel like you got everything under control. You don't need God. You will fix things on your own. That's kind of the environment and the atmosphere of Laodicea. Wealthy, they're going to do it themselves. We don't need your help. We got it ourselves. They were big on entertainment. They had a 60,000 seat amphitheater, which has been dug up and The ruins of it are there today, and that's what they had for entertainment. So they were big on entertainment. They were vulnerable to attack because unlike other cities, they weren't walled in very well. And so they were known to be very wise in how they managed their relationships with people around them because they were so wealthy. They would pay people to handle issues and to defend them at other points. One of the issues, and this one will come out in the letter a lot, One of the problems at Laodicea, they didn't have their own water source. And so that was a problem because for a city to thrive, you got to have a water source that made them vulnerable. And so what they had was an aqueduct was built where water would come down from an area called Heriopolis. They had natural hot springs. How many of you guys have been to Murrieta Hot Springs? There's natural hot springs where I can't really explain how it works, but just coming up out of the ground is hot water for nothing. And so they built little pools and jacuzzis, and it smells like egg, but, you know, it's, it's a free jacuzzi. So supposedly it's good for your body and your skin or whatever. I don't know. I can't verify none of that. But it's a natural hot spring, naturally hot water is coming out of the ground. So they built an aqueduct. The water would come down from Heriopolis where it was hot. But by the time it got down to Laodicea, guess what? It was lukewarm. 
Then it flowed through Laodicea to Colossae, and as it went through the springs and the mountains, by the time it got to Colossae, it was cold. So it was cold for Colossae. It was hot in Heriopolis, but when Laodiceans got it to them, it was lukewarm. And that'll matter as we get later into the letter. And so that's just a little bit about the people. So now let's look at how Jesus presents himself to them. This is what he says. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So we have three ways that Christ presents himself. First, he says, these things says the amen. What is the word amen? We say it in church all the time. I say amen. Y'all say it amen. If you don't agree, y'all just look at me. But, you know, when we say amen, it means so be it or it is so or it's true. So when someone says amen, if you agree, you would say amen. So be it. I agree. That's true. That's what we're saying. When Jesus says, I am the amen, he's saying, I am the so be it. I'm the end all. There's something unique about Christ. There's an authority in the way that he speaks. This is important because he's speaking to a lukewarm church, a church that doesn't want to take a stand on anything, a church that doesn't want to ruffle a feather. Jesus says, look, I am. I'm the so be it. When I say things, it sticks. When I say things, I don't move from the things that I say. It's solid. I am the amen. I am the so be it. When Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to get to heaven except through him, Is he ever going to change that? He's a so be it. That's what it is. So be it. That is how you're going to get there. It doesn't matter how many generations pass and how many other religions roll through. Jesus says, this is how you get in. This is the way. I am the amen. The way he presents himself to these churches has a lot to do with who they are. This jelly-backed, you know, fall in line with everything that they come around, non-impactful, nominal church, lukewarm. Jesus says, I'm the amen. That's who's coming to talk to you guys, the one that speaks with authority and expects that those who believe in him would walk in his authority, that we would believe it authoritatively, that we would share it authoritatively. He says, I'm the amen. Next, he says he's the faithful and true witness. This is interesting, right? To a church that has no impact, to a church that's lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, you don't affect change where you go. You just become like what you are. He says, I'm the faithful and true witness. Witness. The word witness there literally means martyr. Jesus says, look, I'm the witness that was faithful and true all the way to death. I'm the faithful and true witness. I witnessed, I was faithful and true to my calling all the way till I died. But he's saying it to a church that's not faithful and witness. They have no witness whatsoever. He's going to deal with that. And so we want to learn from this, right? If he was a faithful and true witness, we want to be faithful and true witnesses. Right? We want to be a light in dark places. We want to carry the gospel wherever we, we go. We don't want to be Laodicean. We don't want to be people that, that we don't impact anybody. We, don't, we, we just become like whatever we get around. Jesus says, look, I'm the faithful and true witness, no matter what it costs. It will definitely cost you something to be a witness. It always does. But he says, look, I'm the faithful and true witness. I'm, I, was willing to pay, I, was, I, was, I was willing to pay the highest price, which was his own death. To be a light, to be a witness, to save you, to save me, to this church. He says, I'm the faithful and true witness. And thirdly, he says, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. Another thing that was happening in the area of Laodicea, they were very educated. They had a medical school and they were known for an eye salve that they came up with that healed different ailments and maladies that happened in people's eyes. Jesus said to this educated group of people, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. Something that happens in education is that people in most areas of education, one thing that gets challenged is who is the creator? Who started all this? 
Where did it all come from? Any area today of academia, if you go to college, you send your kids to school, something they're going to be challenged on out the gate is how we got here. Where did it all come from? Where did it all begin with? Can I tell you how science begins? They eliminate the option of there being a God off the top. That couldn't be it. Eh, couldn't have been a God. And then they start from there with their theories. We call it the evolutionary theory. It's taught everywhere that your kids go to school. Every college that you go to is going to challenge a person's faith. That's what happens in academia. Jesus says, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. In the beginning, it doesn't mean like I was the first one. He means I'm preeminent over all creation. It agrees with what the Bible says in Colossians 1.16 that all things were made through him and for him and by him. and Without him, nothing was made that was made. He is, he is the first in preeminence above everything. He says, I'm the creator. I was there in the beginning. He was there in Genesis saying, let there be. He is the creator. Well, if you follow today, if you go to college, if you go somewhere, that's going to be challenged. People are going to say, no, you know what? There was some primordial goo and there was an explosion and there was this and there was that. And here's a crazy thing with that, right? Nobody was there. It's just a theory, but they teach that theory like a fact. And one thing science does not do, because science gets proven wrong constantly. They never go back and say, oh, my bad. Oh, we're sorry that we miseducated a whole generation of people. But they just say new, the science of today that proves the science of tomorrow wrong. They just give you new science. The Bible doesn't get a rewrite. We've been right the whole time. Amen. Jesus says, look, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. This all began with me. I created this thing. It began with me. This is his presentation to this lukewarm, academically educated, wealthy church. This is how he presents himself to them. Now, look at what he says. Verse 15, what he says to all seven churches, I know your works. Jesus would say to them, as he would say to all seven churches, I know your works. I know everything about you. There's nothing about you I don't know. I have complete knowledge about you and your works. Then he began to list what their works are. And this is what he says, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So back that up. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. This would have hit a nerve. This would have spoke. This was a real church that lived in a real area, and they knew they had lukewarm water rolling through. It was an issue for them. They didn't like it. The hot water from Areopolis, by the time it gets to us, is lukewarm, and then by the time it gets to Colossae, it's cold. While we don't get the hot or the cold, hot water is good, and cold water is good. Hot water for healing, hot water for baths, hot water for cleansing, cold water for refreshment, but don't nobody usually want lukewarm. I was going to, as a joke, I was going to put lukewarm coffee in the thing just so y'all could feel me. But I was like, I'm not going to do that. Too. I love y'all. You know what I'm saying? I just tell you I was going to do it. Y'all could feel it that way. You know, but nobody want If I go to Starbucks and I order a coffee and it's, if it don't burn my tongue, I'm, this is the old coffee. I want the new, new. This is not the one I paid for. You know, I want it to be hot. Right. If I want cold, I want it to be cold. But here's the thing about lukewarm. It's not impactful. Lukewarm water doesn't impact anything. It doesn't change anything where it goes. When I was growing up, me and my sister were often fighting over who could get in the bathroom, who can get in the bathtub or the shower. And my sister would beat me into the shower. And so in retaliation, I was a younger brother. You know, I, I had to do what I could do. Uh, I would go into the kitchen. I used to get these. We had these big 44 ounce or big goat cups and I would fill it up with ice cold water. I would put ice in water and I would fill it up. 
And then I would go into the bathroom and I would just dump in the shower. And it was a double whammy because one, you really don't want to be wetting a black girl's hair. So I took my life into my own hands doing that. But I would just hit her with the cold water. Yeah, you know, and and when you take in a warm shower, cold water is it's it, it, you know, you get a reaction. You know, she would scream and I would feel like now I'll wait for my turn. You know, I'll get my shower later on. <laughs> lukewarm water, somebody threw lukewarm water, it would just you'd just be wet. It wouldn't you wouldn't go, oh, that was cold or oh, that burned me. It just it didn't have any impact. Here's what Jesus is saying about these Christians, and I want us to hear this because if it's true about us, then we need to repent of it. If you are non-impactful, if you being a Christian go into other environments and you have no impact where you go, you just become like everything around you. You don't ruffle feathers because some people are lukewarm intentionally. I don't want to offend people. I don't want to say nothing. You know, I want to all these excuses that people make to be lukewarm. Jesus is saying about that kind of Christian, it kind of makes me sick. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I want you to be hot or cold. Now, the traditional teaching on this is this, that, you know, hot is good, cold is bad. You know, God is saying, I'd rather you be hot on fire, Christian, for me, or be cold. Just don't like me at all than to be in the middle ground when you kind of act like you love me, but you don't really walk with me. I don't really believe that's what he's saying. Because he says after it, I would rather you be hot or cold. I don't think Jesus is saying, I'd rather you be for me or against me. I think he's saying, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I want you to have an impact. I think hot and cold are both good. Hot is good. Cold is good. They're both impactful. The thing that's bad is lukewarm. If you have no impact, that's what's bad. If you don't affect change anywhere you go as a Christian, that is bad. If you just become like, if you're a chameleon, if you just mold into every environment that you go in and God said, I wanted you to be a light there. I put you around those people that you would be a light. I put you in that job so you could be a light. There are people in that your job, they don't know me. They're going to hell. They don't even know the gospel, but I, I put you there. But you won't talk. You're lukewarm. You're worried about being cool. You're worried about having friends. You're worried about your position. You're worried about all these other things. And God said, I put you there to have an impact. And wherever you live, your community, God puts you there to have an impact. He puts you in the classes, in the schools, in the jobs, wherever you're at. God is saying, look, I, I want... Christians to be impactful. And in order for you to be lukewarm, you got to tune it down on purpose. And so there are Christians that they'll hang out with a group over here and they'll just become like the people that they hang out with. Maybe some of y'all hang out with groups of people and would nobody detect that you was a Christian while you're with them. Then we come here and we're like, oh, praise God. <laughs> I love the Lord. That song was wonderful. But out there, nobody would know. That's not right. That's not what he wants. If you're married, you got a husband or a wife, because if you're married, that's what you would have. Uh, that's all that's available. Just say your spouse went on a seven-day work trip. They were gone for a whole seven days on a work trip with a whole other group of people. And they spent seven days working together with this group of people. And on the eighth day, you got to come and meet everybody. And let's say you showed up on the eighth day and you got there and your husband or your wife was there. And they were like, to your spouse, they were like, oh, you're married? How would you feel if your, your husband or your wife worked intimately with people for seven whole days and when you got there, nobody knew they were married? How would you feel about that? Shady. That's right. That's that. That would to me. Right. I, that would mean how they, how, they, how they don't know that you married. You've been here seven days eating lunch and dinner and breakfast and talking and hanging out. How, how don't nobody know that you got a husband or a wife? You shady. You're not living right. It should have been a ring on your finger. It should have been a conversation. They had to know how many kids you have. I want, they, to know, they need to know the dog's name by the time I get here a week later. You're not living right if that happens, if that's the case. 
How much more that Jesus Christ who died on the cross to forgive you of your sins so you don't go to hell, but you go to heaven. You have access to God and you're connected to God through him. How much more that you would hang out somewhere for weeks and months and people don't even know that you know him. They don't know that that's a part of your life. They don't know that that's the most important thing to you. How? It must not be the most important thing. Why are you hiding that? Why would you conceal that? It's the most important thing that's ever been done for every one of us. And it's the most valuable truth that each one of us possesses. It's the one thing. I know a lot of things. This is the one thing that everybody I interact with needs to know. Right. I know a lot of things. I know things about animals. I know things about electronics. I know things about I know things that don't matter about. I know a lot of things. But the one thing that every single person I interact with needs to know is him. Why would I hold that? Why would I keep that? Why would I be lukewarm like that? Why would I just mold in like that? Because it's easier. Right. It's easier to mold in. But but just we got to hear how Christ feels about it, because in our study of the book of Revelation, the word revelation means the unveiling. This book's title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is unveiling Jesus. Jesus is showing us what he loves and what he hates. He's saying right here, it makes me sick when people do that. It makes me sick when people that are so-called Christians are living in such a way they have no impact wherever they go. Because I wanted them to have an impact. You go back and read the Gospels. He, he sent them out to have an impact. He told them, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit falls because when he does, you will be impactful. You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He knows nothing of a Christian that just is. Nobody knows. Nobody hears. You just got yours. You got your ticket to heaven and ain't nobody else going with you. He knows nothing of that. And he says here, I could wish that you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, we all understand what vomit is. Amen? It's not a positive thing, right? Vomiting is bad. Your body vomits when it's sick. If you overdrink alcohol, it's toxic to your body. Your body's response is to throw it up. If you eat something that's bad, your body's response so that you don't die from the poison is to vomit it out. It can be violent. Little babies eat too much, and they vomit it out. Jesus says, look, if you guys living like that because you're neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out. I will expel you. In the nastiest way that you know of, I will put you out. Violently, vehemently, out of my life. Vomit you out. That's what he says he'll do to this church. Now, what I love about Jesus, and what I think is so wonderful about the Lord, is he is going to give a remedy. And I want us to hear that. So if you're listening to this and you say, that's me, I'm lukewarm. I'm not a witness. I don't tell people. I'm molding. If that's you, Jesus never points out flaws without giving a remedy. He's not trying to make you feel bad. He wants you to live better. There's no goal. If you leave church today saying, man, I feel terrible. Pastor really whooped my butt. That's not the goal. We do need to see where we're wrong so we know where we need to repent. And then God said, this is what you do to get it right. He'll give one last thing. There's an assessment. He's going to tell them how they see themselves, and then he's going to tell them how he sees them. And we should pay attention to that because sometimes we can have a view of ourselves that's different than what God sees. He says this in verse 17, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. That is how the Laodiceans viewed themselves. This was a self-sufficient, wealthy, well-to-do group of people. We don't need anybody, need anything. We got this ourselves. Jesus said, that's what you say. You say you're rich. 
have become wealthy and have need of nothing. That's not how I see you. That's how you see yourself. Look at what Jesus says, though. He says, that's how you see yourself. He says, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's how he sees them. You've been listening to A Transforming Word. As Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Revelation, this book is entirely fascinating, if not a little bit confusing. But don't get distracted by all the strange things mentioned and lose sight of the fact that Jesus is showing himself in a mighty way through this book. The description of Jesus in this book sounds like some fierce, ultimate superhero, someone you would want to follow but might be a little afraid of, too. But Jesus is coming to redeem a broken world. Some of the ways God will go about doing this may not be fully understandable from our perspective, but that's okay. It's still worth studying and eagerly anticipating the fact that He's coming to make all things new. What a relief. If you'd like to hear this message again, or listen to more messages from our Revelation series, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you have some questions that you'd like answered or need someone to talk to, we're happy to speak with you and try to answer those questions. Just call 310-245-4811. Once more, that phone number is 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today in the book of Revelation. We look forward to our next edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill. Make sure you tune in for the upcoming message as you're sure to learn more from this intriguing book of the Bible here on A Transforming Word.